Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. We are having a lot of fun talking about a subject that should make you smile, and that's friendship. Uh, If you're lucky enough and blessed enough to have the kind of friends that Larry's had, and quite frankly that I've had, then you're in a good, good place. And Larry, we've been talking about some amazing people. And what I find is the uh, sort of the overall similarity between all these stories is these people are people first, and celebrities second in your book. I mean, you get to know what they've brought to the world. For instance, we, we talked a bit about Benjamin Zander, the illustrious music director of the Boston Philharmonic, the Boston Philharmonic Youth Orchestra. Brilliant man in his early 80s. He's done it all, still doing it all. And you can relate to his passion for what he does. And there's a connection that you have there. It's really lovely. It is. And, um, you know, Ben is also skeptical. And uh, he was skeptical. Well, I told you that I was skeptical of him at the beginning, and he was skeptical of me. I, at our first meeting, I told him I'd like to write a book, this, that, and the other thing. And he looked at me like I was uh, from Mars or something. Um, so that, um, you know, our friendship developed over the course of time. That might have been 10 or 12 or 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you do make friends with these people. And with uh, with a uh, well, you said something very important, and that, and I'm sure you share the same thing. They are people, and they're they're going to die like the rest of us. And uh, you know, I do th- I do respect all of them. I think they're all better than I am in terms of talent, but I don't think they're better than me in terms of being a person necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And I think that I re- I respect their talent. But I don't see any reason why I have to approach them as special people. I want to approach them as another person. And have you found, because I'm guessing this is the case, that when you do that, when you when you realize you're not in it to impress them, you want to just talk to them as human beings, that they often, not all the time, but the ones that are true friends, they relate to that. We talked about Matthew O'Kine. He loved the fact that you talked about life and soul and issues of the heart as opposed to just the music. People respond to that is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely they do because, yeah. um, the, you know, um, musicians are – famous people are used to having people kowtow to them. Fawn all over them, yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're delighted when somebody just talks to them like another person. <laughs> yes. And uh, I have no trouble with that because I don't uh, – you know, I don't think I'm as good as they are. But on the other hand, I don't think I'm – well. Another name that we've talked about in a, in a separate podcast is Ron Blake, Ron Blake. And he's a force of nature in the in the music world, right? I mean, he does it all. He composes, he's a pianist, he teaches, he's changed the the path of, of certain elements of jazz and other things. And yet, you'd never know it, right? I mean, he doesn't go around crowing about it. He's a very humble guy. Well, I want to come back to Xander, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, let's talk about Rand Blake a little first. I think you said we've talked about him before. We, we, he was the subject of a separate cast, but yeah, so certainly the, the add guy, to it. He's in his early 80s, and uh, Rand, I've known Rand now for 20 years. I was asked to 
interview him by Oral History of American Music at Yale University way back in the early 2000s. And uh, Rian is a very modest guy, and uh, he's a wonderful guy. And another, he's another guy who's a genius. Uh, he, he was, he's a MacArthur Grant winner, just like Matthew O'Coin is. Genius grants, as they call them. And they are both geniuses. Um, Rian um, is about a, the op- he's the opposite of Ben Zander, because he 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 takes everybody else seriously, uh, but you'd never know that he takes himself that seriously. And everybody knows that uh, he's a, as you said, a brilliant pianist and a composer and and an author and all those things. But um, he. Um, and a great lover of Lois's applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? <laughs> which, which she brings him all the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but Rand, um, and he, he speaks in a way that if you don't know him, it's hard to understand sometimes because he's has a unique manner of speech mm-hmm. and a pace of speech, so that I had to untangle that when I wrote about him in this book. But I, you know, I I, I think that Rand um, is. Um, I once asked him a question. Um, I might have said this on an earlier podcast. I think I asked him a question. Um, uh, are you confident about yourself or something, something like that? And he said, and I love this when people say this. He said, I, I've never heard that question before. Hmm. And uh, I so he said, I'll have to think about that. Another guy that said that to me was Marty Appel, who used to be the public relations director of the Yankees. And he thought about it and finally wrote an email to me about it. <laughs> and I you know, I wrote about him in American Jews in America's Game. And Marty was very big in my life because I probably wouldn't have written that book without him in Israel introducing me to all these former major league people who um, managed teams over there in their abortive attempt to form a baseball league. But um, I think that um, I think that Rand is truly modest, and uh, I think people want to take care of him, um, and uh, so I just—he's a very special guy, and um, yeah, he's just uh, well. Sometimes too, Lair, and you've met a lot of these people, and you know a lot of these people. They're so brilliant in the field that they're in. They're a little insular, and they might have a few idiosyncrasies that that keep them more private, and people want to take them out for dinner and want to do that, and they're not used to it, right? Uh, but but I, I, I know exactly the kind of guy you're talking about. I know a lot of Rand Blakes myself who are humble and, and don't even know what's happening around them because they're so interested in their art. or their Well, he's very—he, um, you know, I, he is interested in his art— but one of the things that happened to him when the uh, when the I guess the Greek junta about forty five years ago mm-hmm. he was in Greece at the time and he saw some of the stuff that was happening which I don't think was like Ukraine today but I think it was bad bad enough and anyway he was I think he was probably unsettled by the whole experience PTSD, he finally got out maybe, of yeah. Yeah, PTSD he, yeah he got out of there and uh, so he um, uh, what occurred was that. Uh, when he came back, one of his friends was Gunther Schiller, who's one of the great, oh. you know, classical and popular composers and the president of the New England Conservatory, passed away a few years ago. But he brought Rand to the conservatory to be, head the improvisation 
department over there. Mm. Now, I think that because of that experience, Rand is really attuned to what goes on around the world and as much as he's interested in his music. And one of the things that Lois and I did was in our estate plan, we provided for a concert. He puts on two kinds of concerts in alternate years over the conservatory. One is like the one he put on right after 9-11 in which um, he had Israeli composers and Greek composers and Muslim composers. And he dedicated it to the firefighters. And he's just a very, uh, the firefighters at 9-11. Mm-hmm. And it was trying to bring people together mm-hmm. at that time. Another one he does is based on his passion for film noir. And they take a great uh-huh. film noir, Gaslight was one of them, and his, the improv department, and he and the fellow we've been talking about uh, uh, that, I, that, I, that I want you to meet uh, Aaron Hartley. Oh, yes, right, right. Um, and they, they make this terrific, uh, they uh, combine with the students to produce this terrific program. And this is called Alternate Years, uh, the um, film noir stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want that to continue long after Brandon and I are gone. That's a lovely uh, sign of of your true friendship and dedication to your friendship. That's well, you know, cool. and another thing that I did, because I, the people over there like Hankus Netsky, you probably— I heard. know Hankus quite well, the king of Klezmer. Yeah, Klezmer and uh, his uh, co-leader of the improv department now, Edom McCadden Summer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm whose husband is the Aaron Hartley I spoke of, mm-hmm. and Rand, who was the formerly head of the department, and now is still a professor over there. So originally, the gift that we had left, led to the, left to the conservatory was to the conservatory for a scholarship uh, for students over there. Mm-hmm. But, le- but in the change, the amendment that I'm making to this estate plan currently, it's going to be to the improv department specifically, along with that one for the concerts. For a, it's not because I'm such a great enthusiast of uh, uh, of impro- improvisation or modern music or music that's an amalgam of music from elsewhere and Western music. It's all great. It's all wonderful. I realize it's terrific, but I'm you know sort of a sort of a dumbo. Who still likes to listen to Beethoven and Mozart? Well, that that brings us back to Benjamin Zander. Um, talk about a, a difference in the sound of music, so to speak, between the two. But they're both master musicians, uh, Ran and Benjamin. But it shows you the range of uh, of art that we're talking about. Well, music. I mean, music. I mean, all kinds of music is wonderful. Sure. So that uh, even though I might be, as I describe myself, a Dumbo, um, I I think that. I change that gift out of uh, as a combination of love of music of any kind and the friends yeah. that I had there. Yeah. Why would I leave it to the conservatory broadly to pick somebody? Why not leave it to the? That? I love that, and it and it also suggests, and it, it whatever the case, it, remembering a friend or being kind or just 
dropping a note or leaving a, a message for somebody or complimenting them, whatever you do, it, it seals that friendship forever. It just makes it a lot more solid. Let's move on to some other names. Well, you were here. talking about Ben Zander, so let me tell oh, okay. you. Okay, finish Ben Zander. Well, Ben Zander. Now, Ben Zander is the opposite of the improvisation. He is a lover of the classical tradition. His favorite composer is Gustav Mahler, right. who's absolutely wonderful. But he loves Beethoven, he loves Brahms, he loves a lot of the Russian composers, whatever we, whatever we say about Russia today, and Putin, their, their composers were Rachmaninoff and Stravinsky and uh, Shostakovich. And they're, I mean, they're, uh, they're, um, uh, the, the other guy that I love so much, Tchaikovsky, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, so, they're unbelievable. So that um, he loves all those people. Now, what I'll tell you about Ben has led, listen to this guy's life. Uh, Gaspar Casado, Spanish cellist, was one of the most famous cellists of the 20th century. And all during Ben's teen years, he traveled, not all during, but for a few years during his teen years, he traveled around with Casado, who was a colorful guy as well as a great cellist. And as a student, because the... uh, the instrument that um, that Ben was learning was the cello, okay. and they traveled all around. And uh, he would Casado would show up uh, at odd times and at odd hours, call him up, and while Ben was asleep in his hotel room, say, "Let's go out and have some food." Two two in the morning, <laughs> and you know this is Europe, and they would go. Even before that, his mother, who was a very Obvious. Well, Ben comes from a, a fantastic family. All his siblings are extremely successful. A couple of lawyers in England and uh, the whole family. It's, it's amazing. If you looked into the, ask him about that. You look into the family. And his father was a famous guy. They moved to get away from the Nazis from Germany, and that's how he became English. But um, Ben, um, even before that, his mother wrote to Benjamin Britten, who this weekend they're doing his famous war requiem, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, and Britain was great. And at that time, his mother wrote, and Britain says, well, send him over to me at Alderburg. That was his coastal town that he lived in with his chosen one, Peter Pears, who was a great tenor. So Ben go- went there and spent a couple of summers there with these famous people, including the other person in the household, whose lady, I'm trying to think of her first name, last name was Holtz, whose father, uh, or brother, father, I think, the planet? was the Gustav Holtz who wrote The Planets. Ah, I thought so. Holtz. Yeah, right. So Excellent. that um, this is the relationship he had when he was Pretty nine, nice pedigree. 10, Pretty nice. 11, 12. So then he goes to university and they have an essay contest, you know, in, the I think, London University, one of the big ones. And he writes, he writes a whole thing, I think on, um, I think of one of the famous novels, English novels, Tom Jones, I guess it was, and uh, he won. What a terrific writer. So that, um, but then he came to the United States, and he was at the conservatory for 30 or 40 years. Now, there was a dispute between him and the conservatory about somebody he hired that they didn't like, that he had a bad reputation. And they made it very t- difficult for Ben. And even though they retired him and gave him some sort of, I forget, honorary doctor of law, doctor of something, 
and uh, they uh, as a great university. It was there for 35, 40 years, but that that resulted in the end of his relationship where he had a great youth orchestra at the conservatory, and he, and he formed what we were talking about. Uh, and so uh, the Philharmonic mm-hmm. and also the, uh, the Children's Philharmonic, uh, these groups are amazing. As you said, takes them on tours and all the rest of it. So, and he does so many other things. I mean, I can't recount them all right here that are wonderful. He's just a superb guy. The main thing I want to say about him, in all these endeavors, you have to think. And he's, as a famous author with one of his ex-wives, and his ex-wives, one of them passed away. They all loved him even though they were exes because they they knew how, what a what a creative person he was, um, so that um, he wrote a book uh, called The Art of Possibility, which sold over a million copies mm. with one of his ex-wives. Um, and um, so the main point I want to make about him is that, especially in the lives of children, he has been so uh, not only creative but so instrumental in their development as musicians and people because of the interest he takes, it's a level of generosity that the parents, you know, you read some of the letters from the parents, what they think of Ben mm-hmm. because of the influence he's had on this or that young person, with it could be from 12 to 19, and in their development uh, as a musician. So he's, he's a great man. Reminiscent of another uh, well-known name, and you mentioned his son-in-law, Harry Ellis Dixon, who uh, chaired, well, I should say chaired, he conducted the Youth Symphony for decades in Boston. Yeah, he was Mike Dukakis' father-in-law. That's right, yeah. You know, I was with Mike the other day, and uh, Kitty, and, uh, yeah. you know, Kitty. And so when I, inter- when I interviewed Harry Ellis Dixon, he was, he was not well. He was toward the end of his life. I'd never met him before. I'd always admired him. And in 49 years, he played the violin in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And he also conducted the Pops Orchestra at times when uh, when Arthur Fiedler couldn't. Yes. And um, so he, he was <laughs> he was a very elegant guy. Yeah. And uh, he was in Germany at the time that Nazi had, uh, you know, studying music in 1931, the year I was born. He was there. And that was those years following was when Hitler came to power. Uh, those were the years made famous by uh, Cabaret? Yes, yes. The the 20s and early 30s in Germany. Right? Uh, Lois told me that uh, she was watching the Academy Awards last night, and uh, uh, Judy's daughter... Uh, Liza Minnelli. ...was in a wheelchair or something? I, I didn't see that. Uh, there was a, a certain incident that everyone's talking about. As we record this, the slap heard round the world. Are you familiar with that? Which one was that? Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on stage live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get into uh, MMA, boxing, and so forth, and wrestling. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, getting back to Benjamin Zander and Rand Blake, two examples of, of eminent, not just musicians and not just creative forces, but great teachers, great instructors, Right? Mentors. Something yes, you're, absolutely. you're very much a fan. And two such different guys. And we're talking about, you know, the relationship between somebody like me and them. With both of them, we write back two-word emails, you know, great, terrific. I mean, I, I must have exchanged 30 emails with Ben 
in the last week because he was such a pain in the neck about a couple of pictures he wanted in his oh in the book yeah. in his story. But I, you know, I don't, I don't mind because I know who he is, and they know where he's coming from. And there was a, there was a picture of Casado that I chose, which is a good picture, and he looked at it and he said, "Yeah, but he's posing." Here's a, and he, he said, "There's a picture I have, but I can't lay my hands on it where he's not posing. He's really plain." And he finally came up with that one, and I had a change it in the book, get in touch with my people, and change it. And then there was another one he wanted instead of the one I took of him in his garden in Cambridge at his home that showed him with a young student, not uh, maybe 17 or 18, and they he, you could see they were conferring about something. And the picture expressed the relationship of teacher and student, passionate teacher and interested student. So... You know, so I wasn't annoyed because I know what be, he wants perfection. So I wanted to provide what he wanted. You did indeed, and you will. And that book is coming out very, very soon. And we're obviously going to spend a lot of time focusing on that particular work because it's destined to be a, a classic, as all of your works have. We have more friends to talk about in future episodes. You know something? I, I you know, I wouldn't say this ordinarily, and who knows? It could fall flat in its face. But anybody I've let in to look at a little bit of it, um, because, you know, there have been continuous PDFs of the whole book yeah. with slight alterations to make it as, as good as it can possibly, not as good, but as perfectly presented and produced. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all like it. They all love it. I, one lady I went to see the other day who could sell the book. You know, she wouldn't have given me more than five minutes if she thought it was a bunch of crap. What's not to like, Larry? What's not to like? The only critic you have is sitting out there in the waiting room, and she keeps you honest. <laughs> We've got more with Larry. Well, coming. when she served blintzes yesterday morning that she had made the night before, and they were delicious with fruit and sour cream and and sugar. What is that sugar? Cinnamon sugar? Cinnamon sugar. Oh my God! And you didn't bring any into the to the studio. What's the matter with you? She brings. That's another thing she brings to Rand Blake. <laughs> I said you brought blintzes to Rand. What about me? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll we'll take this up on another episode. Thank you, my friend. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards: An Existential Triad of Friendship, Inquisitiveness, and Maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRutman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Rutman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.